This is Katie Dunleavy with My Chronic Illness and Me. As someone who struggled with chronic illness for more than 15 years, I've often felt incredibly isolated in my journey. Now, as a coach for others dealing with chronic illness, I've realized I'm not alone in feeling that way. There just aren't a lot of forums out there where people can connect about their experiences with chronic illness. So this is that space, a place where we can educate each other about different illnesses, dispel myths, and most importantly, share our stories. Let's dive in. Hey everyone. Today I'm talking to Maddie. Maddie just graduated from her master's program in Nashville, Tennessee, and she was nice enough to talk to me the day before she moved her entire life back to Virginia. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Maddie has been dealing with PCOS for about a year. I talked to her about how she's navigated having family in the medical field versus finding her own way with her chronic illness, about not really identifying as someone with a chronic illness, and more. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Maddie. Hello. It's so nice to get to see your face and actually meet you. It's really nice to meet you too. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. I'm glad that our mutual friend connected us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So honestly, what I normally am asking people to do is just by starting out, just tell me a little bit about yourself. I don't, we haven't met before and I'd love to just hear a little bit about you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself. That is a question. <laughs> well, most recently, I'm just graduating from graduate school. So that feels very much in the foreground of one chapter kind of closing. Congratulations, um, by the way. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It feels really good. <laughs> oh my God. I remember that feeling of like freedom. <laughs> like I'm done. <laughs> yes. I'm like, what does one do with their time? This is mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. So that's on my mind, of course, as a transition. But I think more broadly speaking, I am an only child. <laughs> only granddaughter. I was raised by a single mom and my grandparents. And so just really family oriented is one of the things I think of when I think of myself. I'm from Virginia and was able to have access to really amazing educational experiences. I think that have just kind of impacted me so greatly for the last, I guess, like seven years. That makes me feel really old right now for some reason. I am a certified and registered yoga teacher. So that's something that's really important to me. And has both in a professional way and then personally, just been a really cool journey to kind of stumble into something that then so greatly impacts you in so many levels. Um, So that's a big part of me. I have a really sweet puppy that we just rescued. Her name is Elsie. And so that has been a a whole nother journey that I stumbled into. I feel like... I have ideas about how things might look and then I stumble into other things. So all this to say, I think I'm, I kind of have this duality of, of some real rigid educational type academic experiences. And then also at the same time <laughs> can feel a little, I don't know, maybe I don't think wild is the right word for me. I think my friends would laugh. If they heard me use that <laughs> word, but I just think maybe another way to describe me is just kind of, I stumble a lot and I find my way as I go. That's beautiful. It also sounds like you're open to spontaneity and like to things coming along your path that you hadn't necessarily planned for, which is a lovely trait to have. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe that's a nicer way to say I stumble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Stumble. I mean, it can be positive too, but I don't know. Yeah. Just being open to new stuff. Not everybody is. So that's really cool. 
you mentioned to me before we started recording that you're also in the process of moving. I am. I literally moved tomorrow. <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. How's, how are you feeling about that? I feel really excited and it's bittersweet, right? There's so much that I'm leaving. And so there's a sadness about that, but I think there's a lot to be looking forward to as well. So I feel a lot of emotions around it, but mainly that is just right. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your chronic illness journey. Like how did chronic illness enter the picture for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I first even heard that term just by meeting friends and meeting other people as they, you know, as we kind of grew into older adolescence and young adulthood, right? It started to just become more prevalent and certainly being away from a small town and into bigger cities, it was just a term even used more, right? So Mm -hmm. that was my first interaction with that. And then I, in the summer of 2022, so last year, I just started to feel different. I just started to notice that, like I mentioned, I mean, I, part of my journey with yoga has been that I've just developed a lot of bodily awareness and insight on many levels personally. And so I started to feel things that weren't my quote unquote normal. Mm. So those kind of like, those manifested as just like a fatigue I hadn't known before. Like I would sleep for eight or nine hours like usual and still wake up as if I hadn't slept really. And I started to have this irritability to Mm. me that I maybe was used to if I had PMS for a day or two, but it was just like this chronic irritation with anything. And I started to notice that my menstrual cycles were really long. Like I wasn't, my period just became really irregular. And so I just immediately went and one of the beautiful things of being a student is they typically get good healthcare. And so mm-hmm. I just immediately booked appointment at Vanderbilt Student Health Center. And I went in, we kind of described all of this. And that nurse practitioner said, well, let me, let's do a full labs, you know, let's run a full lipid panel. And so we just kind of went into that. And she kind of preemptively said, this really sounds like something called PCOS. And mm-hmm. I had heard of that term, but I didn't even know what it stood for. I didn't. It's also, for some reason, those letters sound like emergency to me. I don't know why. Like PCOS just sounds like it sounded scary and kind of like edgy to me. Interesting. <laughs> like it sounded like an exclamation point being said to me for some reason. And so fortunately, she was, she was not fear mongering at all, even though it made me feel that way hearing those words. And she explained it pretty well. and. From that point, that was kind of my first personal experience of being told that I might have this kind of chronic condition. Mm-hmm. And moving forward, I started to develop even more symptoms that were kind of staples of PCOS. So I started to kind of have excessive hair growth. I started like around my face or my neck or just different mm-hmm. areas. I'd never had hair growth before. My labs came back with elevated testosterone, right? High androgens. So... And my periods are still irregular. So 50-day cycle, 60-day, 45, it was just kind of weird. And I had always had pretty regular periods. So that's kind of a long-winded story to kind of that initial learning about PCOS in general and how it was impacting me. Yeah. How long was it 
between like when you first started feeling, you said just kind of different. And when you went to see the doctor at your medical center. Yeah, I would say it was probably like three weeks. Oh, wow. That's really fast. Yeah, I think that was something I felt really happy about. I remember that summer was like, I'm noticing something's different. And then I went to the doctor and they were like, yeah, something's different. And that felt, it was very validating for me in that moment. I'm fortunate my mom is in healthcare and a lot of her, our closest family friends are in healthcare. And they immediately wanted me to schedule an appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. And so I got on the wait list and had to wait like six months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in the meantime, I immediately started just kind of wanting to learn and do my own research. And I used both healthcare providers who were friends, family friends, and social media to like find communities just to learn like what do other people think about this? So for me, my social media is Instagram. So I just literally typed in PCOS. What do people say about this? Certainly knowing the difference between Instagram and a doctor, right? But <laughs> sure. I was really kind of pleasantly surprised to find so many different accounts just centered around this and communities. I learned like words like sisters, like C-Y-S-T-E-R-S, mm-hmm. like these kinds of things. And I really enjoyed that. And just learning so much more about the condition in terms of saying that it's polycystic ovarian syndrome is often a misnomer because you don't have to have these cysts, right? Like there's so much that goes into the diagnosis and your experience and how it sounded like a lot of women and non-binary people just felt invalidated by the medical system when PCOS was part of their wheel. And so that was a really informative way for me to learn a lot through that portal, honestly, of just like, okay, so I might expect to be invalidated. That was just kind of helpful Mm -hmm. because it shifted my expectations. Because I think my baseline, because so much of my family is medical, is to just trust them and to just do what they say. And so I think it was helpful to just know that so many people did not have a good experience, right? Yeah. It's actually so interesting to hear your story because I personally had a 15-year lead up to first onset of symptoms and then final diagnosis. And a lot of the people that I've worked with so far have had a similar like it took me years and dozens of doctors. So it's really kind of like, I don't know, hopeful or something to hear that you were able to recognize your symptoms, go to a medical professional right away, and that they validated you and were like, this is what it probably is. Like, it's, it's nice to hear for a change, honestly, a story like that. I'm really glad that you had that experience. Yeah. I think that feels like one of the fruits of kind of modern day connectedness and whether yeah. technology or just access to information. I feel like that's what I sense it is partly attributed to. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you more about the Instagram thing too, because I think that your point about information is everywhere and everything and access to information is everything. There's so much information that is out there, but it's, it can be so hard to find. And I don't know about in your experience. I know that in my own experience, it's been really difficult to find accurate information. So 
how did you think about that? And like, what, what was your kind of lens when you were looking at all these cool Instagram handles and stuff? I importantly did not go to Instagram first. (laughs) So I talked with like licensed medical professionals first so that I understood, okay, here are the diagnostic criteria. Here are the symptomologies that can present on a whole continuum. Here's what treatment typically looks like in America. Here, like I just had a good sense of what this would look like. I'm speaking of my puppy. She's dreaming right now. Oh. <laughs> so I had a good grasp on how Western medicine would view it and the criteria involved with that. And so from that place, that is then when I went to Instagram. Got it. This was curious about the communities. And I had a sense that there were many different supplements available. Like I started to just learn all these different, like, I mean, there's just so many products that people make when you have a chronic condition. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Right. And so that was even interesting. This was like my first experience of ever having in my view at the time, something wrong with me. That, and I'm kind of using air quotes. Like yeah. I never experienced the feeling that my body wasn't just like healthy, that there wasn't just everything was ship shop tape. Like I just felt fine. And that was, that scared me. I felt a lot of fear. And so I was really interested when I was on Instagram to see how people hopefully want to help, but also maybe using some fear mongering during a, sensitive time, right? When I'm, when folks are maybe just transitioning into that understanding of themselves. Yeah. There are so many products and things that I found myself having to kind of set boundaries there. Yeah. It can be, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It can be overwhelming. So my lens really was to just be curious. It wasn't to use Instagram as a way to necessarily educate me. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I think it's a really important point. And again, something that like not everybody knows how to do or like to your point, you had really great resources in the sense that the first professional you went to see what sounds like was fairly validating and helpful. And then you have family members and connections in that space. So that was it sounds amazing to be able to like have that sort of basis of solid information and then explore from there because it's such a fine line, right? Between when you go on Instagram or even Facebook or whatever, some social media groups that are centered around a chronic illness, it can either be, as you said, fear mongering and and someone trying to sell you something, or sometimes it can be really overwhelming and can almost be like contributing to your sense of fear and like depression at times. Like if you get too sucked into the like, this is horrible kind of account, which they are out there, right? And so it's hard to find a balance of like, okay, I feel like I have a community here. I feel like they're giving me solid information. I feel like there's people who can potentially comment on, you know, what's going on. And also it doesn't make me feel horrible to look at it all the time. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I think it's hard to talk about PCOS and especially the initial diagnosis of of that without talking about weight loss, because it's constantly 
in your face. <laughs> oh, interesting. So when I went and I say constantly in your face in terms of both how social media talks about PCOS, whether weight loss is a good thing or a bad thing with PCOS, whether it's necessary or unnecessary with PCOS, and how met the medical model views it as well, right? As kind of quote unquote the kind of like the diabetes of the odory, right? Like that this kind of notion. And so that was something that in and of itself brought shame and fear and kind of confusion of just getting mixed messages. And similarly for birth control too, right? There's a lot um, around just that this is either the right way or the wrong way. This is either good for you or bad for you. This either helps or doesn't, right? And I think to your point, I think having the luxury of having really good resources was really important for my well-being during that time. And yet, in spite of having such educated medical professionals around me, there still were things that they were sharing that felt wrong for me. And so part of my research while being online was learning about different supplements that could be helpful rather than, in my case, going back on birth control, which was something that was difficult for me in the past. It just didn't make me feel like myself, right? So I, I didn't want to do that, even though I knew it was typically the treatment. And so finding things that might maybe work <laughs> to help just kind of regulate my hormones, regulate my cycle. I got to, I kind of did some experimenting, which was a little nerve wracking, but ended yeah. up being worth it, I think. And it was, I think it was just such a precarious time in terms of my family and their beliefs around things. And then my growing beliefs around just my experience, right? Of myself and my body and what I was willing to do and what I wasn't. And so all of that based in our, my access to people, good people and my you know, just perusing on Instagram and the internet kind of then led to me taking some action around, okay, so here's what I know. What do I want to do with this now? As I, especially as I wait to see this, this specialist. Yeah. So many things just popped into my head while you were talking that I'm like, oh my God, I want to ask about that. And I want to ask about that. And yeah. it just, especially I was, it really kind of struck me how you were talking about like, yeah, even though I have all these medical professionals in my life who are great resources, I had to find my own way. And I think that that's so important and can be really difficult when you do start finding your own way to then communicate to your friends or family who might know a little something or more than a little something if they're in the medical field about what medically you're going through, but don't have your experience, right? They don't live in your body. They don't have to deal with it day to day. And so it can be really challenging to sort of take what they say, want to understand it's coming from a place of wanting to help and kindness and also sort of setting boundaries to say like, thank you. And like, I really do have to figure this out for myself. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's hard. It's like one thing for us to talk about it. It's another to really live it. It's hard. It was hard and it continues to be hard, but I think it's also really worth it. So yeah. So have you, have you gotten to see the specialist yet or not yet? Yes. So I, the, the journey continued. So I got to <laughs> see her in January 
So that was about six-ish months later, like five months later. And it was honestly such a great appointment in that she spent 50 minutes with me, which I I don't think I've had a spend that amount of time with me in a long time. (laughs) Yeah, that's like Um, (laughs) unheard of. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. And I felt like she really wanted to hear my story. And she like, I just felt so heard by her and so seen by her. And she also was able to clarify some of the labs that were run were incorrect. Some of the things that were run were actually for men. Like there were just strange pieces to the chart that like my medical chart that she was kind of elucidating on. And she was really validating in terms of it. You do align with the diagnostic criteria. And because of the measures you took in the last five months, she was able to kind of see how my symptoms had been almost alleviated in a lot of ways. So I felt a lot of validation and I also felt kind of mad (laughs) that the labs that had been done were incorrect. And so I had been believing incorrect things about myself. I felt mad that I had to wait that long to see her and that I was coming to her when I didn't need her as much. I felt mad that I wasn't just told to go take what I had been taking. (laughs) Like, so those, it was both awesome. And just, I left, I think I left in tears driving home, even though it quote unquote went well. And she spent time with me. I still was like, so do I not have this? Like I just was kind of confused. And that was a hard part of this was like believing you have this condition. And in a lot of ways, getting results and validation that you do. And yet mm-hmm. at the same time, also kind of being told, well, because it is a condition, it's not a disease, it can go away too. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. That is really interesting because at least from my personal experience, and I guess most of the people I've talked to so far, it's okay. So this is something that's going to be the case for the rest of your life. There's still that element of like, well, I have endometriosis. I I can't remember if I shared that. So there's this element of like, well, but if you get surgery, like maybe it could be better for a while, but it'll come back. But then maybe you can get surgery again. So there's there's a similar kind of like ebb and flow. But I can imagine how sort of confusing and upsetting it must be to because it's like on the one hand, you want to be like, yeah, I have this. And you want that to be like a statement and someone to validate it, right? And on the other hand, maybe you're feeling better than you were six months ago. And that's wonderful, right? But it's that doesn't mean you're quote unquote like fixed or that you'll never have a crappy day again or that next time you have your period, you won't be exhausted. Like it, I hate the sort of black and white way we in our society talk about sickness and illness and disease, because I think that our society is so set up to, so that you're sick and then you get better. And we really are terrible at talking about like, what if I don't get better? (laughs) Like, what if I just always have to deal with this? Or like, what if it's an ebb and a flow? And we just really are not set up to have it be kind of like an ongoing conversation. Absolutely. And you're right. It really stays under wraps that that is 
probably, I would argue, a more common experience for most Right? Yeah. Um, whether we're talking about chronic illness or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true, but particularly true for people with chronic illnesses. And to your point, I think for me, even now, while I don't experience the insane mood swings and I don't experience the the lethargy and the fatigue that I was experiencing that prompted me to go in, I still have the excessive hair growth right? mm-hmm. on my face and my chin and things like this. And I still, when my period is even a few days late now, I'm like, oh my God, right? There's always that part every month, even if it's literally three or four days, right? Like I then go back to, well, what did, what a, what did I might, what might have I done to do this? Right. Yeah, what did I do wrong? Right. And that I think is what's hard about not just being able to say for me right now, it's just PCOS. This is how PCOS functions because I've had doctors, right. Say to me, you're on the like lower end of the spectrum with PCOS. If we want to say that, right. That's kind of how they framed it, which I love this notion of continuums. I think that's great, but what it, it makes it harder to fully identify with something. Yeah. It's kind of invalidating in a way. It does feel that way at times. So it's just been, I think this is another part of what folks don't talk about, right? With conditions like this is, is that it really can ebb and flow Mm -hmm. and how you feel about it can ebb and flow and how it impacts you and your body, right? I think that's, there's the emotional part and the physical part that isn't, isn't really talked about. It's so true. And like how, how closely physical health and mental health are tied to each other, like, no matter what chronic illness someone has, you can feel okay some days, both physically and mentally. Generally not something you're thinking about every second of every day, right? Like you're still a whole human person living a whole full inner and outer life. And sometimes it can be completely consuming mentally and physically. It sounds like a lot of what you have done and what's helped you feel better so far and to the extent that you do, has really been kind of just from your own experimentation. Yeah. And so I can imagine that that might be really tricky too, right? Because then if you start to feel not great again at times, or like you said, like if your period comes on late, how does that impact like the way that you think about the steps you are taking? Yeah, I think it it greatly does. And it, I remember, as I recall, when, when that provider said that, she was kind of referring to that my expression of PCOS was more manageable than typically it presents in her patients, right? That's what she was getting at. Okay. So, right. And so... I'm rolling my eyes because I'm like, come on, why are you going to tell someone? Like, how is that helpful for you as a patient? Right. So as the patient, right, with those symptoms, it's kind of like saying, it's kind of bad, but not the worst I see. And so that's kind of what I heard in that, which is what left me feeling both that relief, but also the confusion and the anger. Right. Mm -hmm. So I felt like three things all at once. And so now, right. So now we're five months post that, that even that initial meeting, right with her. I would say that hmm, because the experimentation has been a lot on my own, I have 
there's risks to that, right? And so one of the risks is that you're pointing out is that it, maybe it stops working, right? And so I think that that would be a disappointing experience for me. And I, I genuinely don't know. I haven't really thought about what I would do if or when that happens. But I think I would feel very disappointed. And honestly, when I was talking about the fact that you feel a little better based on the things you've done, I wasn't even trying to say like, maybe it'll stop working. I guess my point was just more, it's so frustrating to have to figure this shit out on your own. Like I just, I've talked to so many people who have this experience, like, yeah, I went to a doctor and I got either no help or a little bit of help. And basically from there, I have tried 1 billion different things and you kind of experiment. I mean, just speaking for myself, I've been on like every single elimination diet known to man at one point or another. I have seen more than three (laughs) like naturopathic doctors. I've seen nutritionists and GIs and OBGYNs that like just so many people. And at the end of the day, it really has come down to just me like wading through all of this sea of information and misinformation. And it sounds like that's been at least to an extent your experience with figuring out like what actually does work for you. Absolutely. It really has. And I just truly see that as such a reflection of a very broken healthcare system in our country. Yeah. Because it shouldn't be that way. It it really not. And I certainly won't settle for it to be that way. (laughs) And will do my small part in trying to chip away at that. But no, I mean, that, that it just shouldn't, it's so broken. Yeah. What do you think one thing could be that could really change the picture in the healthcare system around PCOS? Mm, I think having a provider who wants to know the story before the diagnosis got there onto your chart. I think okay. that mm-hmm. would be really huge. Just in terms of feeling heard or what about that would, would make such a difference? I think a couple of things. One would be that that would immediately shift the the room of, I want to understand you. I don't want to fix you right now, right at this moment. I think that would be huge, right? I also think it would give them more nuance than just seeing your chart yeah. and giving them the background around what environmentally was going on. For me, I think it's a huge part of what she couldn't have known was that I was going through a whole life transition during that time. So huge stressors, right? Stress is a big part of hormonal situations. Yeah. And that I had gotten off a hormonal birth control pill six months prior, right? Oh, interesting. Could this be just my hormone? Right. There's so many elements to this. So I think knowing the story also impacts diagnosing and symptomology and treatment planning. And so that's another piece that would be really big, feeling heard, having nuance. And then thirdly, it would help her understand. I'm saying her because I just would hope that (laughs) doctor is a woman, but it would help them understand you a little bit, even in just a few minutes of hearing you talk and hear how you conceptualize what's going on so that they can kind of tailor treatment to who you are as a person, right? So I think yeah. I think that's important. 
and our providers is to have a sense of, okay, this person, based on what they're saying, in my instance, isn't going to go back on birth control right now. Right. That's a main treatment for this, right? Of, right. oh, you're having trouble? Well, this will regularize it, right? Yeah. What I'm hearing is almost like providers and a system that doesn't treat us all like cookie cutters of each other because we're not. Because like to your point and, and your story, we all have different contexts going on that would help maybe with diagnosis, but would definitely help with potential treatment options. Not all of us want the same thing pushed at us. Some people want to go on different medications and pills. Some people don't. Like it's so different. I think that's a really good point. And it's sad that we have to talk about like the basic, basic level of like treat a patient like she's a human being with a lot of contextual stuff going on like that that's just not already the case but it's really good an interesting point yeah it really I think it's just lacking right again that just speaks to the broader kind of systemic policy issues going on in terms of why that's not happening right yeah 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 and I I think it's important to say that I don't necessarily feel like I through my experimentation, just landed on the right thing or, or it was just random. Like I think that in some ways, my research, I was pretty picky around what I was willing to actually buy and try based on research that had backings to it. Yeah. And I only say that because I didn't know if they would work, right? Because research-wise, maybe they statistically work for these people and they don't for me. So while I was picky around what I did try, I then think I just got lucky that it happened to work for me. Yes. <laughs> so I think that someone else could do everything I did and it not work for them. Or I could right. do something else that worked really well for somebody and it all worked for me. And that's speaking to kind of the cookie cutter part of this is that hormonal imbalances and fluctuations, which like kind of drive <laughs> PCOS, I think are just the nuance is just embedded in it, right? So I think a provider just has to be mindful of that. And as a patient, it's really hard to kind of take the reins on that when you're already... so hard. Yeah. And actually, this is something I'm really contemplating about this podcast because I, I explicitly do not want it to be like, here's what will help with blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not that, right? And... I also know that it's so difficult sometimes to find any solid information at all. And so I kind of am struggling, like, should I ask you what has worked for you? Should I not? Because I don't want someone else to be like, well, this worked for them. Like, why didn't you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I'd just be interested in in your thoughts about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to share that only because it was helpful for me when I was first kind of seeking out information. I just liked hearing like 14 different people's experiences and what they did and then another 14. (laughs) And so I'm happy to share what I did. Not like you just said, not because I think it would work for someone else necessarily. I would love for it to, but to just at least know even names of things or know what's out there. So I'm happy to share that. that Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to hear. Okay. Yeah. So I started taking a supplement called inositol, which I think honestly, if you go onto any Instagram, you know, social media website page, you'll probably see this, right? And so 
I take it through, it's a powder form and I just put it in water or tea in the morning and then in the evening. And that was something I started doing regularly. And that was like the first shift I made. And then the other thing I started, I found was a company called Elix. It's E-L-I-X. And they are founded by really cool woman who I just felt inspired by, frankly. And mm-hmm. I, they had research backed with them. They have a lot of scientists and doctors working with them, but it's rooted all in traditional Chinese medicine. And so they kind of just make tailorized tinctures based on what's going on for you. And it's all centered around menstrual wellness. Hmm. And so I started taking that tincture as well. And so those were the two things I started doing that were kind of supplements. And I'd really never taken a supplement in my life. So I was nervous. Yeah. (laughs) you know, I feel like my mom really raised me like our bodies do so much for us. Why would we harm them? You know, so I just felt very nervous about taking something. None of these are FDA regulated. Nothing is. There's so much crap out there. Like there's, and it's terrifying to be like, okay, I guess I'll take this pill like twice a day. No idea what's in there and what it's going to do. And maybe quote unquote doctors are behind the research, but you never know if that's really true. It is. Exactly. Yeah. No idea. No idea. So those were those were the two things I was comfortable doing because I felt like I resonated with who was behind them. And I felt like they were at least as legitimate as you can be without knowing them closely. Yeah. Um, without them being regulated. So that's where I started supplemental wise. And then I just started shifting my diet slightly because I feel like I have the privilege of not having any sort of eating disorder tendency or proclivity. And so that is not, I know for me, that's not dangerous territory. It's just Mm -hmm. not something I struggle with. So I had the, really the luxury of that. Yeah. And I just, all I started to do was lower the amount of processed foods I was eating. And so For me, what that looked like at the time, I was a full-time student and I also was working a lot. And I noticed when I was at work, it was a lot easier for me to eat whatever Costco had dropped off. Like Instead, I just started making a meal at home to take. And that was really all I shifted in terms of my diet Um, and just making sure I was drinking a lot of water. That was really what I did. And for me, it felt like within six weeks, I started to noticed that my period, I'm trying to think here. Yeah. So within the initial like six weeks of just me starting those things, I just started to notice some symptom difference, like more energy. I wasn't just like barely able to keep my eyes open. (laughs) Just started to shift. And then slowly my period just became more regular. And I genuinely... I'm not even going to say it's because I did those things. I don't know why that happened. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's like such an important, like I'm so glad to hear that those things have worked so far for you. And I really, truly hope that they continue to work for you. And I just, yeah, like it's, who knows if those are the things that actually influence or stress, like. I think it's such a good point is I, I genuinely have no data to show that those things are what did that what what changed my experience but I'm just glad I, I don't regret taking them and yeah. I'm, that's important mm-hmm. yeah yeah thanks for sharing and I think it's interesting like I do think it's worth hearing people's experience whether they name 
certain supplements or whatever or not. Like, I really just don't want this to be like, oh, well, I'm on the no gluten, no whatever. And that's what solves everything. But I really don't want that. But also, again, I just I do want people to like be able to share and hear from other people's experiences. So thank you for for being willing to share that. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a lot about your sort of medical experience so far. How does right now, how does PCOS impact your personal life, like your work and your friendships, your relationship, your day-to-day life? Yeah, I would say most prominently, I would say it affects me emotionally and my relationship, I would say. So emotionally, I continue to have like um, strong emotional experiences as I move closer toward menstruation. So mm-hmm. things just feel so overwhelmingly big emotionally. And what is nice is that because that's just stayed consistent and for most of my life it's been that way, but it's just so amplified the past year or so. Yeah, I guess it's been about 10 months since yeah August. So that is one big way that I've experienced it. And it in a lot of ways just validates my experience more than anything, having the container of, oh, that's likely an expression of PCOS for me. Right. Like here it is showing up again. Here here it goes, you know? And so it just helps me take the shame out of it of mm-hmm. not because I'm doing something wrong. That's not because I want to feel that way. I can't help it. And that's okay. So emotionally, that is a big piece of it. Interesting. And then relationally, particularly with my partner, or with my friends, when I just don't have the bandwidth or the capacity to do something, it's typically now only centered around my actual period, not so much throughout the cycle. I just have to be honest with them that I don't have the actual like <laughs> metabolic energy for you right now. I'm dealing with a lot internally at a cellular level. And so it's kind of what I say to them. And, they just chuckle. And then at this point, they understand. But there is that lingering kind of sadness or disappointment, or maybe at times I feel guilt. So I think for something to affect us emotionally often almost always affects us relationally in some way, shape or form. So I would say those are the two main ways it it impacts me right now. It sounds like you are pretty open though with friends and, and family and your partner about your condition. Yeah, I am. I am. And I felt such support. I feel really lucky. I felt very supported through that. And many of them hadn't really heard of it. Maybe they once or twice, but so I kind of also had the burden of educating them about it while telling them about my experience, which I think is pretty common for people with these kinds of situations. So, but I, I do feel like I was very supportive and continue to be. Yeah. That's lovely. I'm really glad that you have that support structure. And yeah, it's definitely a thing like to choose how much and to whom you share not only like how you're feeling and maybe what you need, but also how much are you supposed to be educating the people in your life? And do you really have the energy to do that for every single person? My answer to that typically depends on my mood. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I said, I think I'm I'm pretty moody. And I think that's normal because again, it's this ongoing thing. We can't all be advocates for ourselves at every single moment, right? Sometimes we just have to get through the day. And I think that ties directly into how good it feels to have 
support when you need it. And I think that was part of what drove me to really share with my friends and educate them when I felt like I could. Yeah. What's something that you wish you had known like a year ago before this journey started for you? Mm, Wow, what a big question. I think I wish I had known that going from, hmm, I think I wish I had known that there really was nothing wrong with me Mm. just because I had a hormonal imbalance. I think I interpreted that to mean I had done something wrong to cause it. And I have had to learn that I didn't cause this. Yeah. That's really powerful. You have something going on and does not mean there's anything wrong with you. Right. Don't even know if I would have fully believed that right away. You know, I think I had to go through this to fully believe it the way I do in such an embodied sense now. This is lovely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I really have enjoyed and love talking to you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. All right. See you later. Bye. Hey there. I hope you found a connection or got something out of my conversation with Maddie today. If you're interested in connecting with me in learning more about my coaching or just talking about chronic illness, or if you have feedback or would want to be on the podcast, I would love any and all of that. You can feel free to email me at katie at reviveandthrivecoach.com or you can find me on my website, which is reviveandthrivecoach.com. I'm also on Instagram at reviveandthrivecoaching. All right, I'll see you next time.